Good evening, OCM. Tonight is Wednesday, June 17th, 2020. And we are in the middle of a series that is moving us to become more spiritually hygienic. Last Wednesday night, we covered third day thinking and how you have, have to have your minds filled with, the, with resurrected thinking, cleansing up the spiritual hygiene from your stinking thinking. Our goal is to defeat the satanic stratagem. It is to have the heart of Jonathan that says, whatever you want me to do, I'll do for you. This occurs by removing assumption, arrogance, anger, and offense in order to rightly serve our king. Look, how important is hygiene, really? Is it really that important, though? I, I mean, come on, is it? It's very important, right? So, a little Calvé Comer action for you. How much more is spiritual hygiene important to us tonight? Goodness, if you stink in the spiritual realm, something is very, very wrong and needs to get right. So I'm thankful for a series like this that our pastors are so graciously taking us through. You know, on Sunday, they continued the series on the subject of spiritual hygiene, and they addressed the earthly, unspiritual, devilish odors that are in our own hearts. We often think of celestial opposition... You know, the rulers, authorities, powers, spiritual dominions as confronting us in very overt, very dramatic ways. But in reality, we learn that it is more often the subtle influences that work on us every day that produce the greatest difficulties in our lives. So tonight, we will be continuing to press forward in our heavenly direction with a message that is entitled, Spiritual Hygiene, Unbelief. Are you guys ready to jump into the Word of God? Kick us off, Nick. Did you say unbelief, Peyton? I said unbelief. Surely that doesn't exist here. No. I have no unbelief in my life. You don't believe me? Well, we better jump into the Word before... My words take over. First Chronicles 23 is where we're going to start this message tonight. I'll tell you what, this stinking thinking can really get a hold of you. I really need this verse in Chronicles to begin to help me to be guided in my thoughts tonight. Me too. To begin to uncover what's really going on inside of me. What's really going on in my life. I need right kind of judgments. I need to clean up. That spiritual stinking thinking that wants to remain and stay inside of my life. Verse 23 and verse 24 in 1 Chronicles 23 should be something that most of you have read in the last couple days. Verse 24 says, These were the descendants of Levi by their families. The heads of families as they were registered under their names and counted individually. That is, the workers 20 years old or more who served in the temple of the Lord. For David had said, Since the Lord, the God of Israel, has granted rest. Can you say granted rest tonight? To his people and has come to dwell in Jerusalem forever. Wow, we had the privilege of studying this chapter and a couple other chapters in Foundations on Monday night. If you were there, give, give a quick hand raise for us. Goodness gracious, I love Monday nights. David had heard from the Lord about his son Solomon. It's good for us as fathers to hear from the Lord about our sons. In fact, we're responsible to hear from the Lord and to set them on the right trajectory. So David had heard. In fact, we're going to be studying more about that in a few days, which I'm excited about. David had heard from the Lord about his son. He did everything that he could in order to prepare him for what he knew with certainty would come. You see, he heard from God and he believed what he heard. And so everything that he did, going as far as setting up a governmental structure based on the number 24, preparing all the the materials that his son would need to build the temple. He did these things in belief-filled actions that caused his son to be firmly established in the next generation. 
Look, this powerful provision is a shadow and a type of what is to come in the millennial reign. We will, of course, conquer in power and reign over all our enemies. And we will experience rest on every side. Before this, Satan had been working viciously to prevent this from happening. You could see his stratagem working in David's next generation. You could see it when he got the best of his son Absalom. You could see it when he got the best of his son Amnon. But guess what? The satanic stratagem that Satan had, he could not get the best of God's plan in David's life and in our lives. Couldn't get the best of him. Go to Hebrews 3. When you get there, find verse 12. Say there when you're there. Man, this should also be a scripture that is bringing some of the events of today back to your mind. <laughs> Are you guys there? All right, verse 12. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. We got to see to it, church. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Wow. Now, Elder Charlie sent this out to the men of LCM this morning, and I was blessed by it. He highlighted hardened hearts on the inside and difficulties on the world on the outside, and the need to walk in strength and power today. Say today, church. Today. We are facing enemies from within and without. We need to encourage, we need encouragement from the Lord and from each other today in order to help us turn away from hardness of heart. Unbelief causes you to turn away. It happened to Absalom. It happened to Amnon. We see later why this is so important for us today. Let's jump down to verse 18. See, this is important as we, as we jump down to verse 18. It's important to note how awesome the Holy Ghost works. Because when you talk about a subject of unbelief, I don't think that the majority of us would look at a subject like unbelief and say, oh yeah, I definitely have a bunch of that floating around in my life. I really don't think that on the surface level we would, we would immediately put ourselves in that category. But the Holy Ghost is so good to us because Elder Charlie this morning, he preemptively Six something in the morning sends this text out to our church, to the men of this church, and starts talking about hardened hearts and unbelief. This is exactly what we're preaching about tonight. And Mr. Char- or Elder Charlie and us, the reason why the pastors and the elders uh, have this kind of direction for us is because it exists here. So if we can just, just before we read verse 18, just know that this exists in our lives This message is going to turn out for victory in each one of us. This message is going to turn out for a victorious kind of stance and victorious kind of action will result from this message. If we can just get our stance right there, hey, this is inside of me. This is inside of you. And we're going to do something about it today. Verse 18 says, and to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest? Wow, you should be thinking back to 1 Chronicles 23 right here. Whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest if not to those who disobeyed? Hey, anybody got a footnote in your Bible at that word there? Yeah, I I do. If I look down at that footnote, whoa, disbelieved. You're kidding. We're talking about unbelief here in Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 18. Look, they would never enter his rest if not to those who disbelieved. So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Wow, that really makes a whole lot of sense now, doesn't it? Unbelief is the very doorway that leads us into disobedience and a turning away from the high calling that the Lord has for your life. When you have unbelief, it turns into disobedience. Okay, well, with that kind of perspective, I can see places in my life where I have been wallowing in disobedience i can see that right now if i look it's not hard for me to see hey i know that i'm i'm called here and i know that i'm falling short in this area why do i struggle with that same portion 
of disobedience in my life over and over. Ah, because the root of it, it's rooted in unbelief. When I do not believe, my actions follow and they turn into dis, uh, disobedient actions. Look, entering into the time of the Davidic king, showing your belief is the very thing that will cause you to enter into God's rest. So how important is this subject tonight? Your actions are the greatest statement of what you really believe. So like verse 12, tonight we are going to see to it. Somebody say, see to it. See to it. That we are dealing with the unbelief that is still present in our own lives. It's a privilege tonight to deal one level deeper than disobedience that we struggle with. It's a, it's a privilege to deal with disbelief and to ask the Lord to help us tonight so that we can cut this thing off at the very root. Who wants to grow in strength and power tonight? Come on, I do. Who wants to grow in power? That's what the Lord wants for us tonight. And he's waiting for you to ask him. As you're turning to Psalm 139 and finding verse 21, I can't help but already feel that the Lord has something very special for us. Verse 21, do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord, and abhor those who rise up against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Wow, that's not a very popular scripture. No, but hating what the Lord hates is the first step in the right direction. Verse 23, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Now, for all you study scholars out there, the word offensive in Hebrew is idolatrous. Your enemies aren't just the things coming against you. Maybe your greatest enemy tonight are your own anxious thoughts. And your own anxious thoughts are not just enemies. They are idols that must be dealt with tonight. So this is an interesting connection that we have going here in Psalm 139 because when you know that the word offensive in Hebrew is the word for idolatrous, it is the adjective describing an idolatrous action, then you know that an idolatrous action is being influenced by those spiritual powers, by those archon, by those things that are warring with us. You see, the real battle is, of course, with these spiritual powers and entities. And so when you have David crying out to the Lord, what he's doing is he's saying, Lord, you are God above all. I want to love what you love. I want to hate what you hate. More than that, search me right now and see if there is any idolatrous way that is in me. See if I'm being affected by Archon where I do not want to be. Show me my blind spots, Lord. Show me the ways that I am going around in unbelief as evidenced by my actions. Open up my eyes tonight to show that to me. Your anxious thoughts become your enemies in that way. And they affect your actions all throughout your life. Look, wavering in unbelief sometimes look like looks like uh, wavering in unbelief about the value of living out your family banner. Can anybody relate to this? You see, I find myself trying hard to live out my family banner, thinking about it, meditating on it. But I also find another power at work right there beside me, something that is trying to steal my thoughts, Something that is trying to steal my devotion. Something that is trying to discourage me right along beside my zeal that is saying, "Mm, you're not really seeing that much fruit from this. You're not seeing the fruit that you should be seeing from this family banner. You know, maybe you got it wrong. Maybe you heard wrongly from the Lord. That is a lie from the devil. You did not get it wrong. You did not hear wrongly from the Lord. What you are struggling with are spiritual principalities that want you to wallow in unbelief because it affects your faith-filled actions. Maybe that wasn't you. But do you waver in unbelief about 
the meager state of your bank account? Do you associate value in the kingdom to a certain number of zeros and decimal points in your bank account? We're casting that down tonight. We're not going to let anything carnal or of this world determine our worth and certainly not change what we believe is true from the word of God. That's right. Maybe, maybe you find yourself wavering in unbelief in carnality about your carnal status, how other people are thinking about you, how other people are viewing you, and you're being swayed back and forth because of unbelief by spiritual powers, and you don't even know that you're doing it. No, maybe you're one who's wavering unbelief about the cost associated with the sacrifice that you know the Lord is telling you to make. Now Peyton is hitting close to home. Maybe you're wavering in unbelief about God's timing as it relates to His promises being fulfilled in your own life. So, this is where we start, church. Search me. Search me, mighty God. Search me, Father. Know my anxious thoughts. Lord, cleanse me of my unbelief. Lord, that I might walk in an everlasting way. One thing unbelief does is it puts you on a very, very short track to destruction. But belief puts you on the everlasting way that never ends. And as we continue through the word and you're thinking about the areas of your life, there is unbelief. Ask him, search me, Lord. Search me. Even as I'm saying this, I'm asking him to search me. As you're leading worship, as you're sharing a word, as you're leading your family, husbands, as you're leading your wives, and unbelief creeps in, you say, search me, oh God, because I know what you've called me to, and I'm asking you to take away those anxious thoughts and help me put them to death. You guys asking the Lord to search you tonight? Look, you can't argue with the heart of David, Okay. You look at David's heart and he's asking the Lord to search him. What is the purpose of the Lord searching us tonight? Well, it's so that we cast off unbelief. It's so that our eyes are open. It's so that he can shine the light of his truth into our lives. We can identify areas of unbelief that turn into disobedience and we can fix it tonight. That's why I'm asking the Lord to search me because I don't want to stay here. I want to go on to belief in what He has promised. I want to go on to belief in His plan. And I want my actions to show it. You see, turn to James 2.17. We're going to have to look at this for a little bit. Look at what unbelief might look like. We're looking to improve our spiritual hygiene tonight. I don't want to stay stinky tonight. I want to get clean in the Holy Ghost. I want to be able to hone in on this dangerous, insanitary practice tonight so that the Holy Ghost can wash me, so that the Holy Ghost can cleanse me, and so that I can get up with a new kind of direction and outlook, one that is full of belief. Are you guys in James chapter 2? Verse 17 says, In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, I have faith. You have faith. I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. I want you to process this with us tonight because we've had some pretty awesome revelation in the last couple months. And that revelation, that lens, made me read this verse just a little bit different than I have in the past. Okay, so first of all, your actions, they're the greatest statement of what you really believe. Clearly, James chapter 2, that's what we teach. It's one of the axioms of this church. Okay, next. You believe that the Lord is the God above all gods. That sounds amazing. Is that your belief? Yes. That is my belief too. But the whole demonic realm also believes that the Lord is the God above all the gods, but they choose to serve something else. You see, even the demons believe that and shudder. Wow, that's incredible. This does not distinguish 
us from the rest of creation, simply believing that God is the God above all gods. Look, belief without action is unbelief in action. Belief without action is unbelief in action. Look, this is going to die tonight because unbelief in us is going to die tonight. Look, <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to claim and say that I believe in something, but my inaction as a result of what I believe in my mind is really an action stating, yeah, I don't, I don't really believe this. That's good, Nick. Yeah, I, I don't really trust this. I have a large section of unbelief in my life. A lack of action, honestly, it makes you liable. You want to talk to us about that, Peyton? A lack of action makes you liable. Church, liability, it always starts with the deeds done in your own home. Let's unpack this a little bit. I want you to go to Deuteronomy 7, verse 26. Say, I believe when you get there. I believe. Hallelujah. Verse 26. Do not bring a detestable thing into your house. Or you, like it, will be set apart for destruction. Utterly abhor and detest it. For it is set apart for destruction. You will become exactly like the things you permit inside your own home. The faithless concerns that the faithless voice in their bedrooms are a liability to them. And it will overcome them. All your worries that we talked about earlier. These are you trusting in other things that show your unbelief in the God of all creation. We're going to ask him to search us. We're going to see to it that it's put to death tonight. Look, this scripture really illuminates unbelief for us in a very personal, very liable kind of way. That hits us square between the eyes. What we say in our homes, what we say in our bedrooms, the conversation that we have whenever we feel comfortable to word vomit sometimes, the conversations that we think that we're comfortable to have because nobody else is listening, those conversations, often when we look into them, they're laced with unbelief. They're laced with it. And even the things that we bring into our home that we would not bring into this church, it's laced with unbelief because it's contradictory. You see, this is what you believe in your mind. But when you go home, what you do in your home is what you actually believe. It's because it's what you're doing. It's your action. So tonight, what we can do is identify Through the Holy Ghost, identify the areas that we are acting, speaking, bringing things into our home that are full of unbelief. We can identify those things so that we are not liable. See, the whole purpose is that our spiritual hygiene gets right tonight. And our liability, the things that we're liable to, turn into things that we're powerful from. Joshua chapter 6 is going to be our next scripture. We're going to start in verse 18. Oh! Come on. I believe. But keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable. There's that word again. Make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. Look, the things that overcome those who are wrapped up in unbelief, they not only affect their own families. Did you hear it? They make all the other families associated with them. They project that liability onto them. Look, otherwise you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction. So this... this. This axiom that we have, that ministry flows from the home, well, of course it does. But the things that you are acting in unbelief about in your home also flow out of your home and affect the whole camp around you. This is such an interesting, amazing revelation. You see, our own spiritual hygiene 
our own lack of belief, it spills out into the camp of God and it's something that is contagious. It's something that is infectious. It's something that stinks. See to it tonight that what is holy to the Lord remains holy to you as well. Church, we're going to see to it. Is it sobering to think that your unbelief affects more than just you? Let's continue in this. Go to chapter 7 of the same book. We're in Joshua 7, verse 12. I believe. This is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they have been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. You may be asking yourself, why do I fall to the same enemies time after time? Why do I run away when I'm called to stand? (laughs) Unbelief tonight must be destroyed. We're asking the Lord to search us. We, already, we are ready to rid ourselves of the practices that cause us to cower when we're called to conquer. Like Galatians 6, we know that what we sow into, we will also reap from. Wow. As you're turning to Isaiah 17, think about Galatians 6 as we begin to read in Isaiah 17. Because Galatians 6 clearly says, what you sow into, that you will also reap. You sow into life, you sow into peace, you will reap those things in your own life. You sow into belief, you will reap belief in your own life. So if we can get this right tonight, church, if we can shift our unbelief, if we can destroy those things, if we can move away from unbelief and begin to sow in belief, then I promise what you reap will start being faith-filled, belief-filled kind of generations in your own life. What you reap will start to produce life. And it'll start to affect this community and this camp of God right here. It'll start to bring life and revival everywhere that you go. Isaiah 17 is a very sobering passage. Anybody believe in here? Isaiah 17, I believe. believe. This is a a weird passage. And it's an interesting one. We're going to show you why right here. You have forgotten God your Savior. You have not remembered the rock your fortress. Therefore, though you set out the finest plants and plant imported vines, though on the day you set them out, you make them grow, and on the morning when you plant them, you bring them to bud, yet the harvest will be as nothing in the day of disease and incurable pain. Well, that certainly doesn't give us many hints to what the Septuagint might say about it. Do we have a slide? Praise the Lord. This is Isaiah 17.10 in the Septuagint. Because you forsook the God, your deliverer, even your God you remembered not. That kind of sounds like unbelief to me. On account of this, you shall plant, plant, and untrustworthy. And seed and untrustworthy. I promise I'm going to translate this for you. Look. Unbelief in your deliverer and in your God causes you to plant and sow seeds of unbelief. And it's on those three levels that we just talked about. It's sowing seeds of unbelief in your own home. It's sowing seeds of unbelief in the community of God. And lastly, it's sowing seeds of unbelief as you tuck your tail and run away in cowardice when you should be standing strong and conquering for your king. We are called to plant imperishable seed as 1 Corinthians would say, that will produce an immovable crop. Your children and your disciples are being seeded with the belief or unbelief that you are currently displaying. Seeds are being spread all over the place. So tonight, in order to help combat that, what we're going to do is we're going to forsake perishable kind of thinking. Yeah. We're going to forsake perishable thinking. What we're also going to do is we're going to forsake perishable actions of unbelief. I know the Lord's already showing us actions of unbelief that we are able to forsake tonight. The Lord is taking us from liable to powerful tonight. We're moving from brokenness to wholeness. Go to Deuteronomy 20. Come on. Find verse 5 and someone say power when you get there. Come on. 
the officers shall say to the army, has anyone built a new house and not dedicated it? Let him go home or he may die in battle and someone else dedicate it. Has anyone planted a vineyard and not begun to enjoy it? Let him go home or he may die in battle and someone else enjoy it. Has anyone become pledged to a woman and not married her? Let him go home or he may die in battle and someone else marry her. Then the officers shall add, is any man afraid or faint hearted? Let him go home. Go home. So that his brothers will not become disheartened too. Are you saying disheartedness, unbelief is infectious? When the officers have finished speaking to the army, they shall appoint commanders over it. Let me ask, are you battling with ulterior motives or competing thoughts tonight? Stop giving in and giving up and start battling with them tonight. Pray in the spirit on all occasions and actively work to destroy these seeds that produce unbelieving actions. Wait, wh- where, where does that start, Peyton? Well, what do I need to do to pray in the Holy Ghost? Where, the unbelief, where does it begin? Why is it important for me to pray in the Holy Spirit? So you build yourself up, brother. Come on. It's because that initial thought, when it comes in, is required to be captured and expelled from your mind. Captured and expelled in speaking in the Holy Ghost and praying and being attentive to these things, they conquer your thoughts right at the root. On that, the distracted and fearful part of you tonight needs to die. We're going to put it to death. Yeah. The body of LCM is filled with those who cast off unbelief and the temptation to be disheartened. We cast it off and we put it behind us. This is a body called to be commanders. We are called to great things, to perform great exploits for the Lord and be an example of faith-filled belief to the whole world. That's who you are, church. That is so good, Peyton. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. We've been looking at this verse on and off for a little bit. Somebody say, I believe in power when you get there. I believe in power. power. (laughs) Look, in the NIV 84, this verse reads, finally, be strong. Somebody say, be strong. Be strong. In the Lord and in his mighty power. That kind of sounds like a command to me, Peyton. It does. Let me help you out with the CJB. It says, finally, grow powerful in union with the Lord, in union with his mighty strength. Grow powerfully if you can? Uh, No, you will. (laughs) Grow powerful. Look, the Amplified Version says, in conclusion, be strong in the Lord, be empowered through your union with him, draw your strength from him, that strength which his boundless might provides. Let me help you out with another translation. Do we have another slide? Let's look at the interlinear here. For the rest, my brethren, be empowered in the Lord and in the might of his strength. Be empowered, church. Come on, help us out with this, Nick. Okay, so we had be strong. We had grow powerful. We had be empowered. These are all commands to the body of Christ. It's because the strength and the power of God, it has a purpose in your life. Can we, can we speak three things about that purpose in your life tonight? Look, the strength and power of God Almighty creates a greater union between you and the Lord. That's where it starts. It starts with a connectivity. Secondly, it creates a greater empowerment from the Lord. And thirdly, it creates a greater tenacity against the schemes of the devil in the spiritual realm. Do you see why it's so important to gain that power? Do you see why it's so important to cast off that unbelief? Can you continue for us, Peyton? In verse 11 says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. See, Satan and his angelic army have been at this for a long time. I know that's true. They've been doing this for a long time. They've been scheming for a long time. Thousands of years, maybe. 
can we see that slide? I want to show you a Greek word. It's 3180. Methodeia, what does that Methodeia. mean? Methodeia. It kind of sounds like a method. Okay. Are you telling me that Satan has a method to his madness? He might have something that you would call a satanic stratagem. This is the reality, church. He's crafting or wily. He's planning. He's plotting. He's trying to find out how to get the best of you. But he's not going to. We are wrestling against a highly practiced army of demonic forces, battalions of fallen angels, evil spirits with different ranks and assignments who hold tremendous power, church. See, these methods, these stratagems of Satan, they have been being developed for thousands of years, which is why they're so dang effective on the human race. They're so effective because there's nothing new under the sun. When you grab hold of somebody's flesh, you know eventually how to twist it. You know how to pull it. You know how to manipulate it. You know how to sow seeds of unbelief into that flesh. See, when we're crying out to the Lord, search me and show me where those seeds have been sown into my own life of unbelief. Search me and show me where I'm sowing seeds of unbelief with my actions. It's so that we can get free of these archon. We can get free of these methodeia of Satan and his stratagems in our own lives. It's so that we can attain that kind of freedom from power. We're not going to not clench with this and say these methods don't have power. Of course they do. They're leading the whole world astray. That's why we need to know what they are. That's why we need to know where they are in our own lives. Look, remember tonight who your enemies really are. This is a really, really important point tonight, guys. They are not... The puppets being used by these demonic forces. This is not your 50-year-old boss that gets on your nerves at work. Or the 24-year-old client that walks in wanting to buy something at your sales job. These are puppets of your actual enemies. Your enemies also certainly are not the people sitting in this room. Definitely not. If they're not the wicked people in your workplace or wherever else you find them, then they're certainly not the family of God sitting in this room. In fact, the brothers in this room are part of the very strength that you need to forge powerfully ahead. Oh my gosh. It's time to turn away from foolish arguments. It's time to turn away from silly debates with one another. It's time to actually pick fights with the actual enemies of God. Open up your eyes tonight, church. We're done fighting with interpersonal relations. It's time to start fighting against foreign relations, celestial oppositions, and to start winning, for goodness sake. It's time we start winning. Hey, let me stand next to my brother. This is how we win, church. We don't win if we're fighting. We win when we're standing next to each other. That's how we do it. I want you to go to 1 Samuel 14. Nick, that was profound, brother. 1 Samuel 14, 6. Say, I believe when you're there. I believe. I believe. I believe. Now that you're there, say, I'm powerful. I'm powerful. All right, verse 6. Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, Come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised fellas. Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Do all that you have in mind, his armor bearer said. Go ahead. Someone say, go ahead. Go ahead. I am with you, heart and soul. Go ahead, Peyton Parsons. Go ahead, Nick. There's a large opposition standing in front of me. I have a brother by my side. Let me say it again. I have a brother by my side. I can take it. Bring it. This is what we should say. Nick, my heart and soul are with you. If you die, I die. We have an eternal belief. And a hope in the resurrection. We believe the same thing, brother. Let not unbelief separate us for a second. Your life 
is my life. Your ice is my ice. I don't leave the ice because you don't leave the ice. It's time to believe and act on what the Lord has always wanted to do through you. And how we do that and how we accomplish those things is by standing shoulder to shoulder in our ranks, fulfilling the day-by-day obedience that's produced from uh, believing in what he said he will do. Come on. You guys, turn with us to Mark chapter 9. Because we have a word for you from Mark chapter 9. Look, this, this is going to begin our capping off of a shifting from being liable to being powerful and full of belief in what the Lord has. When you get to chapter 9 and verse 21, say, I believe in power. Praise God. Jesus asked the boy's father, what's happening with this boy? Well, he's sick. He's convulsing. He has issues. Okay? Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. This pisses me off because when I read the beginning of this passage, I can immediately see Satan's stratagems and they've always been wrapped up in cowardice. Oh, that's so true. Satan has always been so cowardly with his stratagems of attacking us, attacking us when we're down, attacking our children when they're growing up, attacking the vulnerable. He's always been a coward in these ways. He loves picking on our children, for goodness sake. He wants to fill you with doubt and unbelief. So that even when you gain victory, even when you see disciples, offspring, promises, when you see these things come to to pass, you'll seed them with unbelief. So that the next generation will simply die off. That is not true because we believe in something so much greater tonight. And Peyton is going to explain that. Verse 23. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for him who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Look, Jesus had no sympathy for unbelief. But look at the immediacy of the father's response. He said, I do believe. I believe. Help me in the areas that I don't believe. Help me get rid of the things that are hindering me from the great power that's in front of me. I want to show you something. Verse 19. It says, oh, faithless generation. Oh, faithless generation. This is the generation of the father. When the father forsook the path of his unbelieving generation. When the father sought help from the author and perfecter of his faith. It was then that his generations were healed. And it sowed seeds of belief and action into them that would reap a harvest. Church, this is what true belief looks like. Not lying down and claiming something, but rising up and walking in it. That's what it looks like, church. This is what it looks like to walk in power. When he sought help from the author and perfecter of his faith, it was then his generations were healed. It was then that seeds of belief were sown into faith-filled actions. It was then that a harvest could be reaped. Verse 25. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the evil spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said. I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed like a little coward. Convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. Do you see what's happening here? The crowd that is surrounding this 
father and son is watching him get freed. Watching the father stand up in actual belief and watching the son and the generations get healed. And they're looking at it and they're saying, ha, he looks like a corpse. He's still looking dead. It looks like nothing happened to him. Even in the midst of deliverance from unbelief and the very power of God on display, many around still choose to nurture their own unbelief. It's incredible. It doesn't make any sense. Do you mean to tell me that deliverance from opposition in our own lives, when we are delivered from opposition, it looks like death to the rest of the world. It looks like pointing the finger and saying, nothing's really happening to you. But it means freedom and life for the believer in us. Let's look at verse 27. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet. Has anyone been lifted to their feet by the King of Kings? And he stood up. Let me talk about a lie that the enemy tells you. Has anyone been knocked down in this church? Yes. I get knocked down a lot. And the first thing that I'm told is look where you have fallen. Look where you have fallen. But I look back at the faith of the Father. said, I believe. Help me in my unbelief. And I started to change my thinking. Started getting some spiritual hygiene. I started thinking like the scripture. I started thinking like my father. And when the enemy comes in and he says, look where you have fallen. Give him a little smile and I say, oh, you got it all wrong. This is the place where I'm just going to rise up and you're going to watch me. Church, I want to tell you that in Christ, you are strong. Say, I'm strong. And you are powerful. Say, I am powerful. I am powerful. How do, you, how do you begin to fully operate in his power? Well, Nick's going to show us. Help us out. Come on, turn to Romans chapter 4. We've only got a couple passages left. We're, we are coming ferociously at a very quick pace to a close here. But we absolutely must read Romans chapter 4 together. Oh, right. yeah. We got to read about our father Abraham. We got to tonight. Oh, yeah. Verse 17 says, As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed. The God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. The father of all the faithful. The father of unwavering belief. He's our father. He is our father. The things in your life that are dead because of your own unbelief. I want you to think about them. Things in your life that are dead because of your own unbelief. God calls them to life again tonight. God breathes life on them again tonight. The things in your life that are not because of your own unbelief. God calls them as though they already were in existence tonight. It's like they're already here. Look at verse 18. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. And so became the father of what, church? Many nations. nations. Just as it has been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Because Abraham believed, even against all hope, So did his offspring believe as well. Look at that phrase. So shall your offspring be. Who's that? Who is that? That's me. Yeah, that's That's us. You You and I are sons of Abraham. Do you mean to tell me that what he planted in belief produced a crop of believers? It's almost like he seeded his generations with belief. He seeded. His generations so well. Go to verse 19. Without weakening in his faith, he faith he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old. And that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through no unbelief. He did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God. But was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God being fully persuaded that God had power to do what He had promised. 
areas in your life. They might look dead. They might even look dead to your own natural eye. But don't you believe it tonight. Don't you believe it because they are very alive. Face the facts of what your natural eye might see and move on to belief tonight. Though you might have fallen tonight, you rise in power. You take your place among the believing and the faithful. We're going to take our place and we're going to see to it that it happens. I want to remind you that Abraham, against all hope, in hope believed. He heard what the Lord said that was and would be. He did not fool around in unbelief. He actually gave glory to God in the midst of what looked like impossibility. Opposition fostered in him strength and full persuasion. He was powerful, church. Isaac remained steadfast in work and discipleship while under Abimelech. And he became so powerful that Abimelech sent him away from him out of fear for the God that Isaac served. Isaac, while casting off unbelief, bore a son by the Spirit of God and raised him in God's promises. He commanded his son about his marriage and instructed him regarding the nations that would come from his body. You see, he was powerful. Look, Jacob forsook the unbelief present in his household and rid them of all foreign gods among them. As he purified his household, the terror of God fell upon all his enemies as he walked in the direction that the Lord had spoken for him to go. Even as he was dying, he blessed his sons and he worshiped his God until his last breath. He was powerful. Come on, Joseph faced hardship, mistreatment constantly. But it only served to force out any unbelief that he had. Come on. Did you hear that? Hardship, mistreatment constantly, but it forced out the unbelief that he came in with. It didn't solidify it. It forced it out of his life and it strengthened his resolve. In obedience and perseverance, he was able to save his entire household and even the whole known world at the time. While preserving the Lord's promises for his future generations, he was powerful. Moses was raised in a heathen household, but that could not destroy his faith-filled beliefs. He rose up from the wilderness of confusion, conquering his own unbelief in order to join with God-ordained ministry partners. Come on. Cross through a split Red Sea in the power of God and lay a solid foundation for the next generation through obedience to the laws of God and outspoken confidence that would come about. He was powerful. Come on. Joshua's discipleship. It worked to root out his own unbelief. Man, that's such a good word. <laughs> he rose up as a powerful instrument of justice, bent on purifying the family of God and conquering enemy territory. Even when all others were sitting there wavering in unbelief, Joshua took a firm stand and the Lord met him in strength. He was powerful. Jonathan saw his father's unfaithfulness and unbelief and he fled from it in the opposite direction. Even when greatly opposed, Jonathan concluded that Uh, Two were enough to drive out God's enemy and bring glory to his God. He supported King David and fought valiantly to see him come into his kingship. He was powerful. Come on, David. Think about King David. He saw the unbelief in the disciples that showed up at the cave of Adullam. He looked at him and he's like, these guys are full of unbelief. What do I do with them? Well, I'm going to drive it out. I'm going to drive it out of them with my unwavering convictions and heart after the Lord. And so that's exactly what David did. His whole life was filled with daring and brazen acts of obedience. And those brazen acts of obedience seeded his disciples the next generation. All the while spending the latter part of his life on this earth, laying the groundwork for his son to be able to fulfill God's plans. He was powerful. Someone say power. Are you still with us? I want to talk to you about Jesus, a man from Nazareth, son of a craftsman, the ultimate underdog. That's true. Walked in a different reality than the one seen with the carnal eyes all around him while crushing unbelief of those who followed him and would not give up. His body was sown into a grave of dishonor. 
but was raised in glory. The first fruits of all creation now seated at the right hand of the father and awaiting his inheritance in the saints and in the nations. He was powerful. What about Paul? Paul found his greatest purpose and joy in losing his life of unbelief. You see, he lost his life of unbelief that he might find it in filling up his flesh with what was still lacking in the sacrifices of Christ. It's time to get to work, church. His resolve continues to serve us today as an example in a life well spent, swimming in an eternal perspective and the hope of the very resurrection. He was powerful. Church, we say that all these men were powerful. Do you disagree? But they live on. More powerful than they had ever been, eagerly waiting for the powerful sons of God to be revealed. We talk about pow- the powerful who have gone before us, but church, what about the powerful that are among us? Nick, can you help me out with this? Oh man, I got to talk about Elder Baj for a moment. Come on, Elder Baj rose out of generations of carnality, choosing to forsake the unbelief of living only for today. He has abandoned all worldly pursuits. He continues to choose to fight for his eternal reward by pouring his life into the upcoming generations. Me included, praise God. Always working hard, always teaching diligently, always discipling and pulling others up to the standard because of the cause of eternity that has marked his beliefs. Whether working in the Lord's strength in the workplace, teaching and discipling through languages, or being the Lord's battle axe among a generation in desperate need of a righteous father in the faith, belief through action takes a man from generations of carnality to the status of a captain. Raising up generations of commanders and chiefs who will not waver in unbelief. He is powerful. He is powerful and he is among us. Elder Charlie. Elder Charlie heard the voice of the Lord several decades ago. And it drove, and it drove away his life of unbelief. He forsook lowly living and set out on his journey through, a, through great hardship and difficulty. A journey that he is still on to this day. Elder Charlie is meticulous in the purification of his home and the transmission of God's law and standard, tenaciously sowing into the next generations, which is us, through meetings and encounters with God in his own home and in the nations. No unbelieving relatives, no long work days, no physical ailments can stop this faithful man of God. From acting according to his beliefs in ways that shake us from our own unbelief and spur us on to daring acts of faith. He is powerful. Come on, let's stand up together. (laughs) We're going to put Hosea chapter 10 and verse 12 on the board. Before we read through this, I want to say that I am so proud and empowered by the men who are living before us and setting the example for us. I, I just, I'm so moved by this tonight, so proud and empowered by their example. I'm so inspired by it. It makes me want to believe. It makes me want to believe in areas that I am filled with unbelief. It makes me want to change. It makes me want to seed my life and my family and this church and out there with a totally different seed than I've been planting before. It makes me want to do that. Hosea 10 and verse 12 says, Sow righteousness for yourselves and reap the fruit of unfailing love and break up your unplowed ground. For it is time to seek the Lord until He comes and showers His righteousness on you. Tonight, that unplowed ground is the unsanitary nature of your own unbelief. That is what that is tonight. It's, it's insanitary. Unbelief, it's dirty. It's nasty. Areas of unbelief in your own life have been seeding unbelief 
in your own sons and daughters, in this own family of ours that we have right here. Father, shifting your belief in action now will plant seeds of belief into the generations. That's why we're crying out to the Lord, saying, Lord, we do believe tonight, but would you please help us in the areas that we still have unbelief? That's what we want, Lord. That's why we have the heart of David tonight that says, Lord, search me tonight. Lord, try me. Search me and see if there is any unbelief or wicked way in me so that I can see it, Lord. I can get up and I can see it in a different way tomorrow. Look, let the Lord begin this purification process in you right now. We're going to worship. Let Him work on your heart tonight. Let Him shine the light of His kingdom into your life tonight. Ask Him honestly. Lord, I want to seed in belief. I want to produce what your kingdom desires. I want to be like the men who have gone before me.